0: And um, tonight I've been um, debating about what to do because I brought a talk and I could do the talk but I don't think I'm going to do the talk so um, if you wanted me to do a talk sorry but um, really because the talk would be the last talk in the series that we've been doing for a number of months on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness but the last two weeks I've done talks on the seven factors of awakening the seven factors of enlightenment which is part of the fourth foundation of mindfulness and it's been a while since we've talked about the four foundations of mindfulness in other words it's been a while since i've heard your questions your interests your concerns what's touched you what hasn't touched you so I'm much more, that's what I'd like to do tonight. I'd like to hear, okay, we've been talking about the four foundations of mindfulness for months and, and, with, and about the fourth foundation of mindfulness for, um, let me see, four, four or five weeks at least. We did a few weeks on the hindrances. We did a few weeks on the seven factors of enlightenment. What do you, what do you want to talk about? What, what, what would be helpful for you, or what questions do you have that would be helpful if they were uh, at least risen and we started to look at what the question is and what the answer might be? Or what's been skillful or what's been unskillful about learning the Four Foundations of Mindfulness in this way that we've been looking at? and. What I like to do in this kind of um, interactive uh, evening is, at some point, if nobody raises their hand, I'll just call on people. <laughs> and so really think about what, 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 where, what would you like to talk about, or what would speak to you, or what would be of interest to you? Some people are leaving immediately <laughs> because i that. okay it's all practice <laughs> uh. okay we've got a few people okay good 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 let's start with you if you could stand say your name hi I'm Matt Matt and, um, my question is kind of related to mindfulness of
1: Dharma okay uh-huh. um, I kind of Get caught up in when to focus on which framework, like
0: oh, I need to be concentrating on the the Uh energies, the seven factors. You know, I get caught up in that. I'm like, oh, I need to switch. So here's here's the question. So we've been going over the four foundations of mindfulness, and I'll just say them so that everybody has a little (coughs) frame of reference. First foundation is mindfulness of the body. Um, second foundation is mindfulness of Vena, translated generally as feeling or feeling tone, which is really about the characteristic affect of any moment of experience will be pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, Neut- neutral for shorthand. And then the third factor of uh, uh, um, mindfulness, the third uh, component is mindfulness of um, chitta or mind, which is really mind and heart. And so it's all the it's the it's the mind, the state of mind, the the um, manifestations of mind and heart and emotions, and being mindful of those as they arise. And the first three especially ask us to pay attention to what's here, to what's here whatever, just to know it. And then the fourth of Dhammas asks us to know it through a certain um, um, uh, lens that the Buddha outlines a number of lenses like the five hindrances. Is the experience that arising now, is it one of the five hindrances? Or is it one of the six sense doors that's arising now? or is it one of the five aggregates or is it one of the uh, seven factors of awakening which I've been talking about for the last few weeks or and there's there's even more is it it, can you recognize it can you have enough dharma knowledge to begin to recognize your experience in these kind of um, uh, through these kind of lenses as part of your practice and so math is saying, oh, it gets confusing, which lens should I look through, or which foundation should I be paying attention to, mm-hmm. and um, that's a valid question, and that question I think comes up for everybody at some time or another. I think the best answer is to see, oh, what's here? Like what's Presence in your experience, or what's predominant, or what's the <coughs> most um, uh, compelling part of the human experience is sitting in your seat and be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be get, gather some centeredness, concentration, collectiveness, best to work with the body and the breathing. But you can do that with any experience. You can concentrate or or begin to collect yourself by being present with whatever is here. So, the, for me, always the predominant thing is, oh, what's here? What's strong? Not, you know, because everything is here, right? To some degree or another. Your body is here, your, some feeling or, or the absence of feeling is here, some emotion is here, some mental activity is here, or quiet is here, or openness is here, or, so you could if you go look around then you're spending a lot of time looking around and that's a little bit secondary to what we're doing we're not trying to learn how to look around we're trying to learn how to be awake we're trying to learn how to let the capacity of mind that knows what's here to function freely fully in a in a very um, um, grounded and awake way. Is that a little bit helpful? So really you know, a little bit part of that it means that even though we teach the four foundations of mindfulness and want you to learn them, ultimately we're not asking you to do so much. Those the 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 qualities of mindfulness, the foundations of mindfulness just give you an orientation to what's already here and already going to be happening and we just want to refine that orientation so we can actually really stay present and awake to the human experience and most people think they already know how to be present and awake to the human experience and I would challenge anybody including myself there's more to learn there's more that we can develop and it's interesting to do that. It's really what the Buddha pointed at as one of the pathways to awakening is developing the four foundations of mindfulness. Okay? Any, any other questions, given what I said, or anything else? No, you don't have to try fit everything into a Great. You don't have to try and fit everything into a sitting or to what you, what you want to do or what I think is most skillful is developing the skills to be mindful of body, feeling, um, vedna, emotions, mental experience, and experience beyond any category. And then we can be mindful of whatever is here moment by moment by moment. And when there's a lot or too much or it's confusing, then we can be mindful of confusion or too much because that's a state of heart and mind. And when it's so simple as nothing here, we can be mindful of nothing. And that's a very interesting state of consciousness to be awake to. So it really, it hopefully it just gives you more room to stay awake and pay attention okay then there was yeah hi hi i'm Sarah. um my question is about working with very strong emotions especially things
2: like the terror, and yeah. terror and fear uh-huh um the two tools i have right now are you know the concentration which is great if i can get there right. a lot of times it feels very hard and forced, so we can't get there at all right and i go to the method but it's always kind of a trade-off of you know too much of one doesn't work you know if I go too far
0: the other doesn't work. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about. Okay, this way. I'm gonna to talk to me a minute about it. So you're asking about terror and fear yeah. and how to work with it. And you say if you get concentrated you can work with it or it goes away. Uh,
2: sometimes it goes away. Sometimes okay. I can work with it. Sometimes my mind goes blank on that meditating anymore and I
0: wake up later. Okay how is it for you to be mindful of the fear itself? Sometimes
2: it works and when I can do that it helps.
0: What do you mean by work?
2: Mm-hmm. I can be mindful of it. I can stay with it. You
0: can stay with it. And when you can't, what happens? Um. And, and I totally appreciate you asking this. It's a really good question. And because we're all going to have feelings, emotions that are difficult, whether they're Fear, terror, anger, or, or lostness, missing, grief, etc., etc. Sometimes I just go other times I just, I can feel myself getting further and further away from
2: mindfulness, and you know, all, all of that. that right, right.
0: Okay, so here are a few things. I'm going to throw in a few things. One is, oh, it, it's okay if you go further and further away from mindfulness if you're mindful of that. <laughs> Right? I know it's paradoxical, but it's true, because you're not going to be a perfect mindfulness person. But you can be mindful of aversion, not liking, spaced out, etc., etc. These are normal human experiences people would like to either ignore or pretend don't happen, and then avoid. Or, or they want to meditate so much it never happens anymore, right? And, I'm, you know, I'm fine. So, and, and terror and fear are not easy states of uh, being to be mindful of. I mean, I've had plenty of them, especially on long retreat. And my favorite way to be, uh, I'll tell you, my favorite way to be mindful of terror and fear is to be in bed shaking. And just let it rip. I'm not trying to worry about how, you know, being... No, I'm, I'm actually wanting to feel the experience and let it happen and know it as it's happening. And that's been totally interesting. And then, daily, it can happen anytime. You can have terror or fear. So, noticing the components of what make up that experience, right? It's not just the mental experience, that's part of it. It's an emotional experience. It's a physical experience. It's an energetic experience. And start to be mindful of the minutiae of it, or the diversion, the diversity of it, and what makes it up. And, and here, this is really important for dealing with emotions, You want to be mindful of the emotion and your reaction to the emotion, right? So you have fear, and you get afraid of fear. Or you hate the fear. Or you're angry about the fear. Or you're deprecating, you know, judgmental of yourself for being afraid again. Something like that. This is true of any emotion with the anger, especially a lot of Buddhists get really judgmental of themselves for being angry. And instead of using the anger to wake up, recognizing, oh, this is anger, and this is hatred, or this is fear. And these are totally normal human emotions that humans have. So you want both the emotion and any reaction, you're gonna, any, any aversion you have to it, any judgment you have to it, because that'll help you really stay present. That always helped me a lot. Because I have a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of reactions to things like that. But really interesting to see the combination of experience as it happens and be mindful of it, and then see what happens. Other are other are parts of this that I could speak to for you. Anything else? No. Okay. And then the other thing is to, um, it's you know, if you're sitting on a cushion or, you know, and you're sitting, great. But if your body shakes or moves, you can work with it two ways. Keep your body still and see what happens, or don't keep it still and see what happens. But stay mindful of the process. And notice how much, especially with emotions we don't like, how much aversion or wanting it to get done, or over, or become something else, right? And truth is, people have a lot of difficulty with a lot of different emotions, not just difficult emotions. Even pleasant emotions, for a lot of people, can be difficult. Feeling happy can be unfamiliar sometimes Mm -hmm. for people. They don't. They don't like it, or it's, it's, they don't recognize themselves as they're happy, or they're joyous, or if you get ecstatic, you think, "Oh, I'm not doing the meditation right. I should be calm and peace." You know, look how the Buddha looks. He doesn't look so ecstatic, but, but really, this is just a statue. You know, this is nothing real. This is this is beautiful, but you know, the Buddha. You know, he knew how to to, to go wherever his consciousness works <laughs> and then how that can be useful in the process of awakening and waking up yeah any, any more? It, I'm just, it's a great topic, you know the part about how you talk about lying about it, very helpful great, yeah, totally yeah, I always thought that was such a great thing about retreat. And just be on the retreat and just put that and just shake. And it, and cause it has sometimes fear or terror can have that kind of affective and, and, uh, somatic reality to it. And, you know, and then, okay, and then it's just part of the manifestation that's being known. And what knows it is not bound to it. An important piece for everything we've been talking about as we've pointed to the four foundations of mindfulness is that the knowing is not bound to what it knows. Okay, there was one more, at least one more, but okay, here and then we'll go back there.
1: My name is Richard and uh Hi Richard. I wanted to thank you particularly for some of the things you Mentioned uh, three or four weeks ago. You mentioned it helped me a great deal because I'm I, I like the first person and get into more analysis of the four might, the four factors, the seven factors of enlightenment, the yeah. five aspects of Yeah. And I'm just all over the place thinking right. whatever. Right. And you said something that's very important to me because. I knew that I would stay mindful in a lot of ways at a lot of different times. About three weeks ago, you said, well, you should try to spend one week to stay mindful of all of this, all not maybe, maybe not a minute, No, no sir. but, you know, more than all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day.
0: Okay, let me just repeat, make sure everybody hears. So Richard mm-hmm. said, you know, like the first person, he could get Um, uh, confused by all the different things you can pay attention to and I said something good that was helpful and one of the things was try to be mindful for a whole week and I said this to the whole group and then I extended it for a week because we never talked about it it was in my mind tonight so and if anybody wants to talk about that we can talk about it Rich is talking about it now
1: and then you did extend it the next week and said, No, I'm gonna extend it another week. Right. So the first week I would find that you know, and you also were sort of freed up a lot of things because you said, Well, you know, you can be mindful if you're driving a car using the computer, sure. And so Right,
0: you can be mindful in any activity. In uh, any moment of reality, you can be mindful.
1: So it was all about telling me that Every, whatever is present is present. It doesn't matter what you're doing, where you are. Uh-huh. Whatever your are experience is the presence. Yes. Then uh that then allow the I mean it gave me information great that uh, you can be it
0: Every moment. Great. Okay. Everybody got what Richard's teaching you right now? (laughs) No, no, no. This is good. You you stay stay up there a second. Because he's saying he he got something that we all need to get. And it takes a while and we forget it. But really, all we're doing, life is happening right now. Right now. Pay attention to it. Start to wake up. This is where awakening happens. It's not just on retreat or it's not just on a mountaintop or it's not just in a temple or it's not just in another country or another culture. This is the vehicle for awakening and it's sitting in your seat. And it does a lot of different things and you can start to be mindful, heartful, bodyful, wherever you are and then see what happens rather than, oh, it's gotta be just like this statue. Because I love statues. Somebody was in my house the other day and they said, my God, you have a lot of Buddha statues. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, i kind of been collected them over the years. But but the statues are not it. Mm. They're, they're a misrepresentation <coughs> of what's sitting in your seat, of what's possible right here. If it's not possible right here let's all go home Mm -hmm. really because this is where awakening happens really right here
1: Uh, basically that was it for me this was very helpful it was a wonderful
0: great Great. happy to hear it thank you and you know and we all keep learning this because it's so interesting how many ideas we can have that Oh, I should be meditating. Or, I, or, or I'm distracted by something. Rather than being mindful of what we call as distracting us. And even in the sitting, you know, you can start to be thinking and then you think, oh yeah, I was thinking and wasn't mindful at all. Just be mindful of the fact you're thinking for a minute and see what happens. Again, I've said this a number of times in the last few months, one of the hardest things to learn how to be mindful of is thinking, is your mind. Because we tend to believe it so much. We think in the thought, the concept, is reality. and Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a manifestation of reality that can be known and that the potentials, to know it or be mindful of it is—I don't know how to say this quite as well as I would like, but I'll say—I'll say it, say it badly—the capacity to be mindful is bigger than the thought itself. It's more fundamental to the reality of consciousness than the fact that there's a thought. And I like thoughts. I think thoughts are totally Mm great. But how do we even know that we're thinking? How do we know that, a thought? What knows that? Take a look at that. Okay.
2: Mm Hi. I'm not exactly willing to say, but uh, the question about fear and terror, specifically the word terror. Uh-huh. And how um, I think it's important it is because I think that you need just practice no matter what, you need can practice what can come up. But so for many of us, we have trauma in our background, mm-hmm. and it's the importance of acknowledging that and what so kind of support, like significant support we can to as
0: one goes through that process. Great. Yeah, great. Thank you. I mean, I thought of that. It didn't come out of my mouth, but and this and it's a really interesting question because we live in a different era than Buddhism grew up in and developed in. In a different psychological understanding, we have a more sophisticated psycholo- psychological understanding now, and part of the sophistication of the su- psychological. Uh, understanding at this point is that sometimes um, uh, just saying oh be with the trauma with the fear or the terror that's not the best way to do it it's too uh, uh, for lack of better language it's we're too sensitive to to be able to tolerate that it's not there's not enough cohesion to be able to deal with it by just being with it and so we need some kind of help to to get support, etc. And um, and the only the only question, the only thing I think you got to watch out for is there's a lot a lot of understanding about trauma and how to work with it skillfully in psychology. And then sometimes there's an overdoing of it, like everything's trauma. Or it's all trauma and you can't, you'll never, you have, all have to go into therapy five times a week for the next 20 years and then we'll be able to, you know, get on the bus or whatever it is. And I'm being a little facetious because sometimes, like anything, it's overdone. But I think it's also an important thing to be very um, respectful of when there is terror or, or a certain kind of fear um, to see Okay, maybe I should go do a little therapy or get some help around this to, to understand it better and to get help understanding it so I can work with it. Okay, thank you. Okay. You could stand please, thank you.
2: Hi, Laura. Hi Laura.
3: Hi.
2: Laura. 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 Um this makes me think of something which is, I've often heard about that sometimes you need to really have gotten to be to a point where you have a very well-developed sense of, let's say, conventional sense of self, before you would even be able to work well with some of these practices.
0: So, so the, the comment Laura's making is she's heard that you have to have a very well-developed sense of self in order to work with some of these practices. Yes. That. You've heard that from who? I don't know. <laughs> well, no, I mean, if you knew, it might be interesting. Yeah, yeah I don't
2: know. I'll see if I remember it. But uh, anyway, i uh, huh? But if that's true, then that would make me wonder whether, is it possible that you
0: could, some of these things could go wrong in some way? It, so the question is, could some of these things go wrong? Absolutely.
2: <laughs>
0: Anything can go wrong, <laughs> as far as I can tell.
2: But well, how would you know it had gone wrong then?
0: How would you know? You'll be suffering. <laughs> <laughs> and, and suffering in a way that wasn't helpful. But, but here, uh, but that's not a great answer. But <laughs> I mean, it's an okay, it's an okay first answer. But let me say a few things. So, the, the first let's start with the statement you're, you're that you're remembering that um, said, you, know, you have to have a well-developed sense of self before you do practices. It's good, generally, to have a well-developed sense of self, generally. But that you never know what's going to happen when somebody practices. And I'm talking both historically and personally. It's clear to me, you never know what what will happen. Because practice is inherently, it's good. It wishes for the best for all beings. And so, it's really interesting to see, I mean, I've seen people, I thought, oh my, you know, they're a little crazy, or they're a little this, or they're a little that, and then you see something goes, and it's not like all oh, the craziness is all gone, and they don't have to take care of themselves in certain ways, but something wakes up, their heart, their understanding, or me, I wake up and recognize more to who they are than that craziness and stuff, because they're there in a real way, a full way. And so I'd be very careful about uh, defining practice as you have to have a strong sense of self. You know, that could be a plus and a minus both ways, and especially in practice, because, you know, sooner or later, if you're going to practice, your sense of self is going to get totally challenged. Because that's just a made up thing, anyway. And so. So then, you know, uh, so okay, so that's a little bit of answering the first part. And then the question is oh, can this not be helpful at times or be unhelpful at times? And really, what I said before is true. Of course, anything cannot be helpful if it's done unskillfully or in a way that's not so helpful. A lot of people come to practice and, and, and expect certain things, want certain things think certain things should happen, and then they don't. And then they think, oh, this doesn't work. It's not. That's not necessarily true. Also, practice is bigger than any one thing. Like meditation is actually a small part of practice. It's, you know, traditionally, you were in a community that was practicing, and, or living in a country, a culture that was practicing. And so some people practice by meditating a lot, and some people practice a lot by doing service, or giving a lot, or studying a lot, or, you know, writing down texts. And that was part of their practice. And so practice is more diverse than we tend to think about it. Because we're totally babies in Buddhist practice, most of us. There are some people who are traditional, some cultures who came here and were Buddhists, or some people who were born and raised Buddhists, but even, even in, as a larger culture, we we're babies, the America and the West. We're, we're just new to the whole deal. And so we're learning a lot, and we're all going to keep maturing and growing, and the awakening will keep maturing and growing as it happens. Any any other, any specifics you want me to speak to? Anything else, or is that... No, just sort of, every now and again I think about it. Yeah, yeah.
2: You yeah. know, I mean, here I am sort of plunging into this thing just based on my own <coughs> sense of it feeling kind of like a good idea.
0: Uh-huh. So plunging in based on it feeling like a good idea, that's how I got into it. <laughs> and, and also, there's some other things, though, that you can start to learn about. That's why practice just brought it in. Read some of the Buddhist texts. See, what the hell do they say? What, what did the Buddha talk about? How did they deal with things, difficulties, or... You know, relationship or money or generosity or whatever it might be, does it make sense to you or not? Because if it doesn't make sense, challenge it. <laughs> that's what I think. You know, and that's true of anything. You don't you know? One of the beautiful things about Buddhism is, oh, don't just buy it. And I mean, I know it's cheap, but don't just buy it anyway. <laughs> really like see what happens to this body and mind to this heart and soul as you practice and then you you have um, experiential reality to base your judgment on okay okay good hi a little louder if you could please oh, or come closer, either way I'm um, just going to
2: respond to the question about because I have a, like my past basically I heard you say about like psychology and like continuing you know, on talking forever and I really wanted to, to say that I coming from that background I find somatic experiencing within the most effective people and, and I guess it takes 20 years yeah, to, yeah. to talk to someone that, um, that really distracts me. So everything you can get is like the body things I think. For me it has been like the most liberating thing writing things
0: other things that I've been able to work through. Beautiful. So. Yeah, so SE work, Somatic Experiencing, is one of the skillful and newer psychologies that address trauma and that kind of difficulty. Very, very, very helpful, no doubt about it.
2: Um, My name is Patricia. Um, So, um, I've been noticing that when I have, um, when I'm thinking a lot, I get contracted.
0: When you're thinking a lot, you get contracted?
2: Even just thinking, I will notice those contractions in my body. uh, um, And then, um, I've been noticing like how obsessive thinking is very contractive as well, and fear, it's fear-based. Uh-huh.
0: Um, so obsessive thinking is very contractive, and it's fear-based.
2: Right, okay. and, um, So I just, and then really, really old patterns of, of thought are—I mean they just like are incessant. It's just really, really tough. to not believe these old thoughts.
0: So, yeah. That's been my practice so far. Right. So what's your question?
2: I don't have a question.
0: You don't have (laughs) a question? You're just saying old thoughts are obsessive and hard to not be identified with?
2: Well, i I noticed that there's a lot of fear, and... And once I get
0: to the, once I get to the, acknowledge the fear, right. Then it, it, then um, it tends to regulate. So Patricia says that when she, uh, she notices this kind of obsessive thinking and contractiveness of it, that when she gets to the affect that's underlying the thought, it starts to relax in some way makes sense to me you know whenever anything is happening it's not usually just a one thing like thoughts have a whole emotional and somatic component to them and so it can be very helpful to see the somatic excuse me the affective or emotional experience which may be fueling the thinking we do a lot of thinking to manage our feelings sometimes. And so then to to really drop into the emotional and be mindful of that, allow it to be here, can allow the mind to relax. It doesn't have to do anything anymore. The emotion is here, the fear is here, the anger is here. I mean, people do a lot of thinking when they're angry. They don't actually feel the anger itself. You know, or they feel it enough just to fuel that. Uh, yeah, I hate that person. Oh, I'm gonna hit them, or I'm gonna take them. They're gonna get it. But they don't feel the energetic, somatic experience mm-hmm. of anger or fear or whatever it might be, or happiness even. People don't. They're happy, and everybody's they're kind of floating around. But they don't just start to. Drop into the direct experience and know it directly, and it takes practice. Anything else? Um, I the other thing that comes up
2: around these old what patterns is like. I thought, you know, oh, I've been for this number of years. It would be all gone. And it it's incredible, yeah, 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 yeah. how yeah, yeah. how like it just happens. It just, you know. Sorry. And sometimes, and I, and I thought, oh, well, I'm, you know, at this point in my life, it shouldn't be as strong. Sometimes it's stronger than when I was like 20. Uh-huh. Um, so. and then, you
0: know, I get all a about that <laughs> so, okay, so let me think because she's saying, you know so she thinks, oh, you know, I've been meditating all this time and it should be gone good luck <laughs> 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 and maybe that happens sometimes and it does actually happen sometimes but sometimes it doesn't happen but what, what happens is we start to lose uh, some of the factors of enlightenment, which is first of all paying attention to what's actually here, because we see oh the thoughts here oh I have it again we're already we're just commenting we're not actually settling into the thinking and the affect that's fueling the thinking, right? Or we're not uh, we don't have a sense of interest and energy to stay present with it, and so the the judgmental mind undercuts our process. And so, you know, see what happens if you'd be devoted to it for a year. And really see, like, okay, I'm really going to be curious. When these thoughts come up, what happens? What's it like? You know, and from the moment it starts, boom, and then see what happens. And yeah, and then there's more. There's other, but I'm not going to do. We could talk sometime a little more, because also there's certain other practices one can do to be kinder to that part of our psyche. Okay. Yeah. What else? Anything about the? seven factors of enlightenment <laughs> remember i taught those couple weeks and then, or the five hindrances or anything else about those four foundations of mindfulness before i start calling on you <laughs> thank you hi your name is kathy, kathy.
2: Doubt.
0: Uh huh. Um, but it kind of comes up with. Uh, am I doing the right thing? Am I reading the right book? So, so, doubt the right the right book? So, so doubt comes up. Am I doing the right thing? Am I reading the right book? Am I following the right tradition? Am I following the right tradition? Should I be at the <laughs> I don't have to lose it too. Right, um, so you're you're giving a beautiful doubt question. Yeah. Well,
2: a, a teacher that I had, I um, came to this through Yoda, um, and she uh, talked.
0: She talked a lot about you know putting the ladder up against the wall, spending all the time climbing up the ladder and realizing it's the wrong wall. So putting the
2: ladder against the wall, climbing up the ladder, and then you realize it's the wrong wall. And and I've heard people. Uh-huh. Um, and instead of giving a lot of little
0: cold, it starts to respond to your ability, and How long have you been practicing, Kathy? Well, it's been pretty years
2: old.
0: Practicing mm-hmm. meditation. Who meditation? Meditation,
2: kind
0: of half-heartedly for about three years. Half-heartedly for three years? Okay. So do it whole-heartedly for three years. In other words, whatever, you're having doubt. You, you're a perfect example of doubt. It's great. You know, you're doing doubt so well. You don't have to have any doubts about that. Really. But, so what you might do is, you, you know, a lot of different skillful ways you can deal with it, The one is to take a warrior stance and just, I'm going to do this goddamn practice and see what the hell is here. And after three years, if you do it wholeheartedly and you feel like this is not where I want to be, then leave. But doing it halfheartedly and then thinking, well, I don't know, I can't tell so if this is really, you know, it's just the wall and my teacher says this and people say hold, <laughs> It doesn't give you anything to work with. You're working you're working with you're you're doubting by being doubtful and working with what doubt brings. And if you give your wholeheartedness for three years, you'll know if this works or not.
2: Well, I've
0: been doing it wholeheartedly for a year and I know it works that been... Okay, wait, wait. Did <laughs> everybody hear that? She's done it wholeheartedly for a year and it works. <laughs>
2: Something
0: is working. The thing is, yeah. I, I, I don't have as much doubt as you do. Okay. You don't have as much doubt as before, but, um, but and you do, but you still don't... have some. Well, no, it's okay. Come on, sit in your room. Really. Okay, so how important is to know and be, um, uh, to a tradition like Zen or, you know, Vipassana or Tibetan or, and then which Tibetan tradition? It really depends on the person. Some people it's very important to have that kind of group. Some people it's not even, not a big deal. It's all good. Right? And so you need to see for yourself. Why don't you, you know, find a teacher, work with them, connect with a a tradition, and see what it does to you, whether it helps or not. And, you know, and yeah, and then you'll have all kinds of doubt, or is this the right tradition? And But that's how you're going to purify the doubt part of your mind and heart. And you know, uh, you know, I'm in the all good school, and I've also devoted myself very seriously to the practices and traditions I've been involved with. And so I'm both totally connected with them, and i I know how to do a lot of different things and not be skillful. And but not everybody. That's not the. Uh, but then I don't say, oh, that's the right way for everybody. Really, you have to discover for yourself. What works? I mean, again, it's one of the beauties of Buddhism is try it, do it, and then see what happens and assess reality based on what's sitting in your seat. And if you're just being doubtful in a habitual way, know that. Because that's not so helpful. And some of us are more doubtful. Right? It doesn't mean the doubt is true. Okay? Okay, good luck. Is that enough for tonight? <laughs> What's up? Last one. It better be good. <laughs> it's going
3: to be perfect. <laughs> My name's Neil, and uh, I, like so many of us, feel day-to-day overwhelmed with things that my mind thinks are very important to do
0: Right, so you're overwhelmed by things your mind thinks are important to do
3: Right, and it's a whole list and it never gets smaller and sometimes it gets larger and it's small things and big things Uh, and trying to comply with that mind means at times I kind of get uptight about it and work with that Uh, but I feel like it's not a balanced life it's
0: not a balanced life right
3: that nourishment relationships and other things tend to suffer at times when I'm uptight about completing a project Mm -hmm. or projects and so I'm wondering what would be skillful ways to kind of deal with what I call uh, in order to find some balance letting go, renunciation, some way of finding skillful ways to evaluate what to me is overwhelming.
0: Skillful ways to evaluate what to you is overwhelming.
3: Right, which I know means in part is how does it feel and uh-huh. that, but I'm finding I'm less than as skillful as I would like to be. So you're
0: less skillful than you would like to be. Okay. Um, I don't have a good answer. I don't have a simple answer for you, uh, really? Because partly, I don't know enough of the detail. But you know, one easy answer I could give is, oh, take one project a week and clarify what needs to be done, how much time needs to be given to it, and then what ha- and then be mindful of how you do it. And see what happens and be ruthless about doing it and see what happens or be a nice guy about doing it and (coughs) see what happens in other words start to pay attention to your consciousness and what happens to your consciousness and if you need help well then you either go to sangha or go to therapy if you need it but something to help you Because I don't have a simple answer like, oh, you meditate and then everything's fine and you know how to do everything. I I just don't have those answers. Meditation will teach you how to pay attention and wake up. But you need to do it. Are you meditating two times a day? Three times a day? Four times a day? Are you meditating so much you can't do other things? No. No? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> maybe you need to meditate more no, I'm, not, I'm serious, I don't know, I don't have an answer what I'm saying is, oh, you need to try something and see what happens reality is what gives us information make mistakes
3: I do that all the time I know, but you're,
0: you're very harsh on yourself for your mistakes Right? And I don't want want the judging mind. I'm not trying to bring in the judging mind. I'm trying to say, oh yeah, do it and see what happens. And if your mind is confused, start to be mindful of the confused mind, or the disoriented mind, or the mind that can't stay uh, directed. And then see what kind of practices, you know, might be a more concentration practice, might be metta practice, help develop your mind and your capacity and first of all your capacity to be kind to yourself whatever is happening
3: yeah, i'm becoming very attracted to self-compassion and self-kindness because i can't be that way with others much less myself right so you're
0: attracted to it so mental practice is a wonderful way to begin to learn that and practice it and then see what happens because i i want to assure everybody here if you come to this group for a long time, you will not become a perfect person. It's just not going to happen. it hasn't happened for me uh, No, I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, something else is possible than our ideas of becoming a perfect person or doing everything right. Like, who the hell cares?
3: Me. Why? Uh, because
0: it's how I feel. Right? So be mindful of how you feel rather than believing it every time. You can believe it. I'm not saying, oh, don't believe it at all. I'm saying, use what's here, be skillful with it, but start to pay attention. Well, what's going to happen when you die? How much is this going to matter what, what you did or didn't do when you're dead?
3: It won't matter to me. It won't matter to a lot of
0: other people. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Well, you can do whatever you want. Well,
3: I mean in terms of practicing medicine and generosity.
0: Yeah, so. uh-huh. Yeah. That's good. But it, don't do it for other people. Do it for you. I am. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling right now? Fine. What well, kind of fine? does fine me.
3: Well, I feel comfortable.
0: Okay, that's good. Anything else? Kind of
3: in the middle of dealing with all these things we're talking about.
0: I I get that, but how are you feeling in this immediate moment? What's (laughs) here? What's present?
3: The sense that uh, I may not have all the answers, I may have difficulties and frustration and all those things, but I'm in a process that I'm comfortable
0: with. You're in a process, okay. So you're thinking about the process right now.
3: Well, I'm also feeling.
0: Okay, you're also feeling. It. And how does it feel? And I
3: and I really feel the meta practice is what I'm feeling.
0: Okay. Well, I want to support you going with the meta practice. It's a beautiful practice, and it's a beautiful practice. No matter what happens, right or wrong, good or bad, there's something else here that's more more fundamental more essential than when you finish everything in your list.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm feeling that in the practice itself. Great. Great.
0: Okay. Thank you. Okay. Let's sit for a minute before we end.
1: Thank you for listening.